is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Mark Levin here, our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811, America's fiscal rating has been downgraded, I'll get into that later, all kinds of problems, countries teetering on bankruptcy, and yet here we are wrestling with the corrupt Democrat party and media, I want to start this evening's program with a history lesson, a history lesson that is unknown to everybody thus far who has spoken on TV and radio, that is unknown apparently to the prosecutors, that is unknown to the Department of Justice, or known but rejected. We've had contentious presidential elections in the past which this Department of Injustice and this prosecutor would say are efforts to overturn an election. Now let me be clear about a few things. The Constitution leaves it to Congress and only Congress to sort out the Electoral College votes. It doesn't leave it to a Department of Justice. There was no Department of Justice. It doesn't leave it to a U.S. Attorney or Special Counsel There were no U.S. attorneys or special counsels. It doesn't leave it to a grand jury or a trial jury or anybody else. Certainly doesn't leave it to inferior agencies of the federal government that didn't even exist. Congress has the final determination. In the first instance, the states have the determination. In particular, the state legislatures. I don't care what the Supreme Court says or anybody else. It's in black and white in the Constitution. To the extent Madison Notes give us any guidelines, it's there too. There's nothing left for interpretation. The election of 1800, and there are others. Thomas Jefferson and his chosen vice presidential pick, Aaron Burr, tied for first place because back then ballots were voted electors 
voted on a president and vice president separately, even though they might be running together. So tied for first place, the challenge to John Adams, who was president at the time, 73 to 73, Aaron Burr and Thomas Jefferson. Aaron Burr stabbed Jefferson in the back. But tied for first place due to a communication error among Democratic-Republican electors or a Burr-led conspiracy, depending on whom you believe. So right there, that would open up a federal investigation, a grand jury, witnesses, and all the rest. Of course, that didn't happen. The election went to the House of Representatives, where it's supposed to go. Alexander Hamilton, who despised Jefferson, but hated Burr even more, turned the tide by lobbying his fellow Federalists to throw their support to Jefferson after God knows how many, 36 votes. 36 votes. So the decision was made in the House of Representatives. President, President Jefferson. That's how he became president. Can you imagine the grand jury investigation? 1824. These are all early in the Republic. All four candidates for president came from the same party, the Democratic Republicans. Andrew Jackson, who was a hero of the War of 1812, he won the popular vote by fewer than 39,000 ballots. Captured 99 electoral college votes. Secretary of State John Quincy Adams took 84 electoral college votes. 41 went to Treasury Secretary William Crawford and 37 to House Speaker Henry Clay. Since no candidate earned a majority of electoral votes, the election again went to the House of Representatives. The top three are to be considered, so Clay was eliminated. But Clay still had his supporters. After a month of backroom negotiations, Clay, who came in fourth, his supporters, most of them, threw their weight behind Adams, enabling John Quincy Adams to win the House vote. To win the House vote. Now, when Adams chose Clay as his Secretary of State soon after his inauguration, and enraged, Andrew Jackson called it a corrupt bargain. That the entire election and appointment of John Quincy Adams was corrupt. And he resigned his Senate seat, and he swore he would run for president again. And he did, and he won. He was not accused of obstructing an election. Or anything else, for that matter. 1860. That election wasn't just contentious, it tore the nation apart. The Democrat Party chose Abraham Lincoln's Illinois rival, Senator Stephen Douglas. The southern branch of the party defected, choosing sitting Vice President John Breckinridge as its candidate. John Bell of Tennessee rounded out the race on the ticket of the new Constitutional Union Party. Lincoln won only 40% of the popular vote, but took most of the electoral votes in the North, along with California and Oregon. 
Breckenridge won the electoral votes in most of the South, along with Maryland and Delaware. Bell won Tennessee, Kentucky, and Virginia. And Douglas won only Missouri, despite finishing second in the popular vote. Imagine all the chaos. They gave us President Abraham Lincoln. Just weeks after Lincoln's victory, with 40% of the vote, South Carolina voted to secede. They thought Lincoln was an illegitimate president on top of everything else. Six more southern states followed, forming the Confederate States of America, February 1861. And they elected Jefferson Davis as their president. I'm putting things in perspective for you. 1876, this was a big deal. Listen carefully. Democratic governor of New York, Samuel Tilden, won by 250,000 more ballots in the popular vote than his Republican opponent, Rutherford B. Hayes, and snagged 19 more electoral college votes. So the Democrat had a quarter of a million more votes and 19 more electoral college votes. Still, the Democrat Tilden was one electoral vote short of the required majority, 185. And 20 votes remained uncounted. Florida, Louisiana, and South Carolina were too close to call. Each party accused the other of fraud. And in Oregon, an elector was declared illegal and replaced with controversial results. You're one electoral college vote away. And one of the people in Oregon, an elector, was declared illegal and replaced. As the crisis mounted, threats of another civil war. Another civil war loomed. What happened? Congress established a 15-member commission of senators, congressmen, and Supreme Court justices, including seven Republicans, seven Democrats, and an independent, to decide the election. This is something that Josh Hawley had thought about in the 2020 election, for which he was viciously attacked. After the swing vote turned in Hayes' favor, that one voter who had replaced the other one decided to support Hayes, who had less votes. He was awarded all 20 electoral college votes from the disputed states, giving him the necessary 185. So this commission is set. The one controversial, controversial elector who replaced another in Oregon decides, I'm going to go for a Hayes. This commission that had been set up by Congress, 15 members, said, okay, well, we'll give you all 20, Hayes. And there's Tilden, who had more electoral college votes, a much more significant popular vote. He loses. He loses. Well, the Democrats didn't take this sitting down. They threatened to filibuster and block the official voting count. And the issue was settled in negotiation in Washington's Warmly Hotel in February 1877. The Democrats would accept Hayes' victory, provided Hayes removed all federal troops from the South. And you know what that led to? 
the survival of the Ku Klux Klan after Ulysses S. Grant sent the United States Army down there to wipe them out. And the reversal of Reconstruction. It effectively killed Reconstruction. That was 1876. What about 2000? Al Gore and George Bush. It all came down to the outcome in Florida. Depending on how you count it, just a few hundred votes separating the candidates in Florida to determine who would be president of the United States. Al Gore starts with the lawsuits. And the lawsuits go back and forth. The recounts begin in full force. Chads, hanging chads. And on and on and on. Went on for a month and a week. The state Supreme Court kept changing the rules to try and help Al Gore. Finally, the U.S. Supreme Court steps in. Says enough is enough. Enough is enough. Bush, who won 30 states, counting Florida, maintained a razor-thin five-vote majority in the Electoral College. Up until that time, would be the first candidate in 112 years to win the presidency without prevailing in the popular vote. Eighteen seventy-six election. Several states sent two sets of electors. I guess today you'd say, "Oh, fake electors," for Congress to sort out, not a grand jury. That wasn't illegal. It wasn't unconstitutional. They weren't fake. They were close races. They weren't resolved, at least to the belief of one party or the other. Both sets are sent, and Congress has to make the decision. 1960, two slates of electors were submitted by Hawaii because the election results first went to Nixon and then went to Kennedy. So they sent both slates, Republican and Democrat, to Congress to sort out. And do you know who the president of the, of the joint session of Congress was back then, America? He was the vice president of the United States. You may have heard of him. Richard Nixon. And Nixon sided with the Kennedy electors. But they hate Nixon. Congressional Democrats have challenged the elections by trying to overturn the selection of electors in several states. They tried it in 2000, 2004, 2016. To no avail. Because their fellow members of Congress stopped them. That's how this is decided. Vice President Pence today has gotten much more... Dramatic and animated, hasn't he? Donald Trump told him to reverse the course of the election. Donald Trump told him not to count electors. Donald Trump told him this. Donald Trump told him that. But Mike Pence withstood the pressure, my God. He stood there and said no. So what? He's not the first. That's his view. But I read the Constitution again today, as I do almost every day. What authority does the vice president actually have? 
when it comes to disputes. The Constitution doesn't tell us. So I went to Madison's notes. Mr. Constitution, what do they say? Madison's notes don't tell us. And yet John Eastman and other lawyers who said that the vice president has the power to send electors back to the state or to wait on the process or to find out what's going on or to appoint a commission the way they had a commission in 1876. He's a kook. And all the other experts are right. To this day, we have no idea. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You know what helps me sleep well at night? Physical gold. I'm concerned about what the Biden administration is doing, and I've decided to learn more about gold IRAs to help me diversify. Did you know you can buy gold for your IRA or 401k? Gold can't be tracked like digital currency. No one has to know what you're buying, and there's no way to print more. My best resource for gold IRAs is Augusta Precious Metals. Their track record is no less than phenomenal. Learn why thousands of Americans are getting gold IRAs as part of the retirement portfolios, and you need to contact Augusta Precious Metals and get their free guide. I'm serious. Text LEVIN to 68592. Again, text L-E-V-I-N to 68592. LEVIN to 68592 or go to AugustaPreciousMetals.com. That's AugustaPreciousMetals.com. Text date and message rates may apply. Performance varies. Consult your financial professionals before making investment decisions and get risk disclosures at AugustaPreciousMetals.com. There's four counts in this indictment. Every one of them is bogus and disgusting. Start from the bottom up. Count four, 18 U.S.C. Section 241, conspiracy against rights. You know when this was passed? After the Civil War. You know what was applied to? The Ku Klux Klan. Preventing black people from voting. It has absolutely nothing to do with what took place in this case. Let me go through the other three counts when we return. It just shows you how pathetic this is. And, and Mike Pence running around taking victory laps. Mike Pence is awfully small-minded and narrow-thinking. This is war on our electoral process. This is a war on the electoral system, not by Trump, but by the people Mike Pence are now celebrating. More when I return. You know what helps me sleep well at night? Physical gold. I'm concerned about what the Biden administration is doing, and I've decided to learn more about gold IRAs to help me diversify. Did you know you can buy gold for your IRA or 401k? Gold can't be tracked like digital currency. No one has to know what you're buying, and there's no way to print more. My best resource for gold IRAs is Augusta Precious Metals. Their track record is no less than phenomenal. Learn why thousands of Americans are getting gold IRAs as part of the retirement portfolios, and you need to contact Augusta Precious Metals and get their free guide. I'm serious. Text LEVIN to 68592. Again, text L-E-V-I-N to 68592. LEVIN to 68592 or go to AugustaPreciousMetals.com. That's AugustaPreciousMetals.com. Text date and message rates may apply. Performance varies. Consult your financial professionals before making investment decisions and get risk disclosures at AugustaPreciousMetals.com. 
Mark Levin, radio's hell-raising intellectual. Call now, 877-381-3811. So Mike Pence agrees that a 150-year-old statute that was written to try and abolish the Klan was a good use of a criminal charge against Donald Trump. Then we have count two, 18 U.S.C. section 1512K, conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding. That was enacted in 2002. It was a response to the Enron scandal. It's been used against January 6th protesters. It's been very, very controversial. It's highly disputed. No case has yet gone in front of the Supreme Court on this. Why? Because it dealt with financial obstruction and so forth and so on. It has nothing to do with what took place on January 6th. Then, of course, the conspiracy to do it is count three. We have count one, 18 U.S.C. section 371. Cheating the government, interfering with legitimate government activity. Historically, this has been used in tax cases or misuse or misapplication of federal monies and that sort of thing. So it's being broadened to apply to January 6th. As I have explained behind this microphone day in and day out, on Levin TV, on my Sunday show, that now even some of the legal analysts are pointing it out, this man, Jack the Ripper Smith, has taken federal law and turned it on its head. He twists it, he expands it, He's been rejected by multiple juries. He was rejected 8-0 to zero by the U.S. Supreme Court. And now Mike Pence and Chris Christie and somebody by the name of Will Hurd and Asa Hutchison stand with Jack Smith. They stand with a prosecutor appointed by the Attorney General of the United States who has a record of abusing the law and abusing authority. That's who Mike Pence stands with. That's who Chris Christie stands with. That's who Will Hurd, whatever his name is, stands with. That's who Asa Hutchinson stands with. This is an assault on our democratic system a thousand times worse than January 6th. It has the imprimatur of official government action. With one party using a phony special prosecutor who has essentially reconstructed his office into an old prosecutor's office under the Democrat Party, under Eric Holder, under, under Jim Comey. And they call it special counsel. Mike Pence is more animated than I've ever seen him. Why? Because he's desperate. He may not even show up on the debate stage because nobody's supporting him. But he's desperate. He's showing a side of him that most of us never saw before. He's got a little elf whispering in his ear, Mark Short, who rode the coattails of Donald Trump into the White House while he was sabotaging him. As for these lawyers, who Mike Pence trashes, because he embraces the likes of Michael Ludig. I asked Mike Pence, I asked Michael Ludig, 
I ask all the lawyers, on what basis can you say what the vice president's powers are or are not in the United States Constitution or in James Madison's notes? Spit it out. I'm waiting to hear. Not what you think, but what is in fact the Constitution. And the answer is nobody knows. Because it was never discussed. That's the answer. Well, Mark, you know there was a statute. I don't want to hear any more from the former federal prosecutors. They've been wrong enough. I don't care about the statute. I'm asking about the Constitution. But even that doesn't matter. This matter was resolved. It was resolved by Congress. It was resolved by Pence, whether you like it or not. It was resolved, not by grand juries looking at 2020 hindsight on what they think should have occurred at the prodding of a prosecutor like Jack Smith. These matters cannot be decided by prosecutors in the Department of Injustice. What are the rules? As I told my friend Brett Baer yesterday, what are the rules? Who decides the rules? Who enforces the rules? When is lobbying a legislature okay? When is sending a second set of electors, as has been done in American history, okay? Or is it never okay? You're indicting lawyers based on advice they gave the President of the United States? Because people disagree with their advice? You're indicting lawyers for the advice they give? You're inviting a former president for exercising his free speech rights? And one side of the indictment it says, Trump knew what he was saying was false. If that's the case, Joe Biden should be doing 10,000 years in prison. But Trump knew what he was saying was false. And yet they indict the lawyers who were advising Trump, whose advice that he followed. How do you prove both of those points, Mr. Producer? This is an attack on the First Amendment. This is an attack on our electoral system. What you're seeing here... Let me put it in plain English. Let me educate the former federal prosecutors and the professors. Jack Smith, at the behest of Merrick Garland, are seizing the electoral power from the American people in Congress for themselves. They are seizing the power to decide what will and will not fly in elections. I gave you the history of some of the most contentious elections. Not once was there a prosecutor involved. Not once was the Department of Justice involved when there was a Department of Justice. Let alone subpoenas, indictments, conspiracies, and all the rest. This is the most aggressive, in-your-face, bald-face attack on the American electoral system 
ever. Ever. Even worse than 1860. Even worse than 1876. It is the most grotesque power grab by a Democrat party in control of federal law enforcement that one can ever imagine. And I love it now when the hosts, including some who are friends of mine, they go on TV and they say, this is the third set of indictments against Donald Trump. Are you kidding me? Alan Bragg's the first. Didn't everybody say he and that is a joke? And they act like it's legit. A Soros prosecutor. Then this one, January, said, this is the most disgusting thing I've read. And then we have the legal analyst saying, unlike the documents case, that's a serious set of indictments. Very, very serious. It is? Well, there are numerous motions. If Judge Cannon is an honest judge, intellectually honest, that should sink that ship. And fairly easily. When you bring a grand jury set of indictments in the wrong venue and do it purposely in order to get that series of indictments against a former president and a Republican potential nominee for president, that should require a complete dismissal of all those indictments. Why do you think he added three or four more afterwards? He knows I'm right. He saw me on Fox. Those bastards know I'm right. Next motion. That was a general warrant. In complete violation of the clause in the Constitution, probable cause and so forth, it wasn't just specific room with specific boxes. It was sort of, or anything kind of around there is okay. You can't do that in a warrant. Where are all the former federal prosecutors on that one? Amazing, isn't it? What about one of the top litigators in the case is accused of extortion? Of telling the lawyer for the co-defendant, you know that judgeship you're, you're aiming towards? I'm sure it would be very propitious for you if you could get your, your client to turn on Trump. That's extortion. It's being investigated in secret. Oh, I got one more. Maybe... Maybe Mike Pence thinks it's okay when you're charged to pierce attorney-client privilege. I don't know. Mike Pence was pretty sloppy with his classified documents, but he's self-righteous, you see. Man of deep faith. God tells him what to do, unlike Trump. And so what's happening? Attorney-client privilege, I want you to each to think of in your own case. If you have a contract or business dispute, you're being involved in a, a, a terrible divorce, whatever the case may be. Maybe some of you are former felons, you've served your time. Maybe some of you are under investigation today. Maybe some of you are facing an IRS audit. And what if they could all say, all these government entities, you know, crime fraud exception, Judge. We want to know what that person discussed with their lawyer. We want their notes, we want their texts, we want their emails. Well, you better have some real crime fraud exception for that to happen, don't you think? Because you can't have a fair trial when the government uses your lawyer to testify against you. 
And yet that's exactly what happened to Donald Trump in the documents case. So there's four areas. Four. And there's more. So when these legal analysts and their ilk go on TV, but you know, the documents case, that's a very, very serious matter. It's serious because of the abuse of power by the prosecution. And don't even get me started. The Presidential Records Act, it's not even mentioned. And yet if Donald Trump relied on the Presidential Records Act, even putting aside his belief that he could declassify at will, which he can, put that aside. If he believed under the Presidential Records Act that he had the right to take with him whatever he wished and to keep it, that's not a crime. That's not a crime. So Mike Pence, who's at 1% or less, is being quoted all over Fox. He's being quoted all over the radical left media. He's being used as the foil that he wanted to be used for. And you know what that means? He just destroyed his career. Because he's not doing it out of integrity. He's not doing it out of principle. He's just doing it now. Where's he been, if this is really the way he felt? I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You know what helps me sleep well at night? Physical gold. I'm concerned about what the Biden administration is doing, and I've decided to learn more about gold IRAs to help me diversify. Did you know you can buy gold for your IRA or 401k? Gold can't be tracked like digital currency. No one has to know what you're buying, and there's no way to print more. My best resource for gold IRAs is Augusta Precious Metals. Their track record is no less than phenomenal. Learn why thousands of Americans are getting gold IRAs as part of the retirement portfolios, and you need to contact Augusta Precious Metals and get their free guide. I'm serious. Text LEVIN to 68592. Again, text L-E-V-I-N to 68592. LEVIN to 68592 or go to AugustaPreciousMetals.com. That's AugustaPreciousMetals.com. Text date and message rates may apply. Performance varies. Consult your financial professionals before making investment decisions and get risk disclosures at AugustaPreciousMetals.com. Trump had to know he was lying, says the indictment. Had to know he was lying to the American people, to the state legislators. First of all, let's pretend that that's correct. So what? What does that prove? What the hell is this? What is this? I can go down the list of the Democrats who were lying about past elections. You don't criminalize these things. So you have these disgusting, exploitative opportunists on the Democrat Party side, on the Republican side. You've got Mike Pence, Chris Christie, Asa Hutchison, Will Hurd. Half of them, maybe three out of the four, can't even get enough support to be in the, on the debate stage. You don't need a lot, you know. Shameful. Absolutely shameful what's being done to this country in our electoral system. Just disgusting. You see, ladies and gentlemen, we've reached a point in this country where the totalitarians are making their move. 
That is, the Democrat Party and their Marxists are making their move. This is a revolution. And we have a lot of suckers in the Republican Party who think that by giving aid and comfort to that revolution that somehow they'll be drawing your attention and your support. Or maybe the people who write the history books will pat them on the head. Or maybe they actually believe they're righteous when in fact they're the opposite. These truly are the times the times that test men's souls. Whether you're a patriot who loves this country or doesn't, we are staring this tyranny straight in the eye. And then we have the quizzling stabbing us in the back while we're trying to fend off what's in front of us. They won't be forgotten either. They won't be forgotten either. The document charges are ridiculous. They wouldn't have been brought by any other prosecutor, by any other administration, against any other former president. The interference in this election is beyond grotesque. And it is constant, and it's ongoing. I don't care if it backfires or not. It's 100% inappropriate, unconstitutional. Then they drop this. Four charges against against Donald Trump. Charges that you can concoct against anybody. And what happens? These Stalinist tactics are used. And people who you even thought you knew expose their inner soul. It's very dark. Very dark. That's what's going on in your country this evening. The media are corrupt because they are the state media. By state media, I mean the Democrat Party media. The Democrat Party is leading this revolution. Every part of it, every Marxist force within it. I'll be right back. This segment of the podcast is exclusively sponsored by Pure Talk. Pure Talk offers great coverage and can save your family money on your wireless bill every single month. Go to puretalk.com to find the plan that's right for you. Thank you again for listening, and thank you so much for this sponsorship, Pure Talk. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Welcome, America. I'll be on Hannity at uh, about 9.25 p.m. tonight, Eastern Time. The federal judge in this case is Tanya... Chutkin. She's the most radical activist Democrat judge in the entire district court of Washington, D.C. And uh, Trump just happened to get her, you know. She also worked in the same law firm as Hunter Biden when Hunter Biden was a lobbyist for that law firm. So obviously she should recuse herself, but she's incapable of that. Now, she jailed a, a protester, a nonviolent protester, for 45 days 
despite the fact that even the prosecutors recommended home detention, Mr. Producer, for 60 days. She's a whack job. That's who she is. Born in Jamaica, graduated from the University of Pennsylvania Law School, worked at the firm of Boys Schiller Flexner from 2002 until she was confirmed as a federal judge in 2014. Strong connections to the Democrat Party, and then second son Hunter Biden, whose dad, President Biden, is likely to face. While at the law firm that Chutkin's high-profile cases included representing Theranos, the blood-testing company run by jailed Elizabeth Holmes. Now, she's been picked to oversee the case involving Donald Trump in Washington, D.C. You think Trump will get a fair, fair shot with her? Of course not. Most of this is going to have to be handled at the Supreme Court level. Now, John Roberts hates Trump. John Roberts and his wife are friends with Tom Frieden and his wife, who is a radical kook leftist at the New York Times, a columnist we've talked about on multiple occasions. And so the system is really, truly rigged. Really, truly rigged. Now, what about Democrats challenging elections? Some time ago, we played you a montage of Democrats questioning elections of Republicans. Now, they knew they were lying, according to Jack Smith. Surely they knew. Let's take a listen. Go. You can run the best campaign. You can even become the nominee. And you can have the election stolen from you. How can you win with Russian interference, though? That's, That's a real what thing. I'm scared about no, in 2020. But, but rightly. Because right. I think he's an illegitimate president that didn't really win. So how do you, you know, fight against that in 2020? You are absolutely right. He is an illegitimate president in my mind. Would you be my vice presidential candidate? <laughs> Folks, look, I absolutely agree. Trump didn't actually win the election in 2016. He lost the election, and he was put into office because the Russians interfered. Trump knows he's an illegitimate president. The president-elect, although legally elected, is not legitimate. I don't see this president-elect as a legitimate president. You said you believe that Russia's interference altered the outcome of the election. I do. We have a president who, if in fact it is proven, uh, has been assisted by the Russians and may in fact not be a legitimate president. The one thing that Trump is fearful of uh, when it comes to his being president is that finally we will see how illegitimate his victory actually was. I have an objection. I object to the 15 votes from the state of North Carolina. I object because people are horrified. He's an illegitimate president. Do you believe Trump is a legitimate president? What I believe is that there's no question that the outcome of this election was affected by the Russian interference. But there absolutely is a cloud of illegitimacy. So that legitimacy is in question, yes. So that was a very tainted election. And and in that sense, it's illegitimate. Why do you think the president is going to such great lengths to essentially prove that he beat you? Because he knows he didn't. He knows he's an illegitimate president. Stolen emails. Stolen drone. Stolen drone. Stolen election. Welcome to the world of unprecedented Trump. So do you believe President Trump is an illegitimate president? 
based on what I just said, which I can't retract. <laughs> the Russian attempt to, ha to have the election, and frankly, the FBI's uh, weighing in on the election, I think make the, make, makes his election illegitimate. There was a widespread understanding that this election was not on the level. We still don't know what really happened, Isaac. I mean, there's just a lot that I think will be revealed. History will discover. But you don't win by three million votes and have all this other shenanigans stuff going on and not come away with an idea like, whoa, something's not right here. The outcome of the election was affected by their interference. And now we need to know, you know to what degree, uh, if any, the Trump campaign was actually in collusion with the, uh, with so he knows he's an illegitimate president. So of course he's obsessed with me. And I believe that it's a guilty conscience. We actually won the last presidential election, folks. They stole the last presidential election. And Al Gore won that election. I think he won it anyway. Actually, I think <laughs> I carried Florida. Bush versus Gore. A court took away a presidency. If all the votes were counted in Florida that Al Gore would be president today and George Bush would be back in office. I come from Florida, where you and others participated in what I call the United States coup d'etat. There's no doubt in my mind that Al Gore was elected president. I rise to object to the fraudulent 25 Florida electoral votes. I must object because of the overwhelming evidence of official misconduct, deliberate fraud, chair, and an attempt the to chair suppress must remind It is signed by myself on behalf of my diverse constituents and the millions of Americans who have been disenfranchised by Florida's inaccurate vote count. The Supreme the, uh, Court, not the is, people of the United States, decided this election. Speaking to a Democratic group in Chicago Tuesday, he made it clear he thinks Al Gore was the winner. By the time it was over, our candidate had won the popular vote, and the only way they could win the election was to stop the voting in Florida. Catherine Harris, Jeb Bush, Jim Baker and the Supreme Court hadn't tampered with the results. Al Gore would be president. The yeah, Supreme yes. Court elected the president. Yes. Al Gore won the state of Florida in 2000, although not the presidency. But the Supreme Court tampered? That's a large charge. The Supreme Court stopped the counting of the votes, and if they let the count go on, Al Gore would have got the necessary votes. The Supreme Court selected George W. Bush as the president. He was not elected. There is overwhelming evidence that George W. Bush did not win this election. What I observed uh, as a voter, as a citizen of Illinois, uh, four years ago, were troubling evidence of the fact that not every vote was being counted. I don't think that George W. Bush won the election uh, in 2000 against our goal because I, th I think it, he probably lost Florida and also that nationwide. If you invite me back on this show in about eight weeks, I think you're going to learn that Al Gore actually did get all the votes there. The court has been thwarting formation of the popular will. The most spectacular example being Bush versus Gore, where the majority by a 5-4 vote enjoined the counting of more than 100,000 ballots in Florida. and essentially gave vote, you idiot. And it wasn't doing anything. Not counting votes in Florida. Go ahead. I think in 2000, everybody thought, well, he did win the election, Al Gore. After the election, when you stole the election, you came back here and said, get over it. No, we're not going to get over it. You know it. I know it. They know it. We won that election. Constantly shifting vote tallies in Ohio and malfunctioning electronic machines 
which may not have paper receipts, have led to additional loss of confidence by the public. The right to vote has been stolen from qualified voters. In 2004, the democratic process was thwarted. The 2004 presidential election in Ohio was riddled with unnecessary problems. Some machines malfunctioned, causing votes to be counted more than once, or not at all. Based upon an inordinate number of allegations suggesting gross voting rights violations and misconduct, I join with my colleagues in objecting to counting the state of Ohio's electoral votes. As in 2000, the votes of many who wanted to vote were not, in fact, counted. This last Friday night, I, I arranged to meet Senator Kerry at a fundraiser to give him a copy of my book. He told me he now thinks the election was stolen. The wife of John Kerry said she has lingering doubts about the legitimacy of the election. Her theory goes like this. Two brothers, she calls hard right Republicans, own 80% of voting machines in the U.S. Therefore, it would be easy to hack into the mother machines that control the electronic voting. We even have more, don't we, Mr. Producer? Go. There were numerous irregularities in Ohio, including large percentages of rejections of provisional balloting, problems with voting machines. As we look at our election system, I think it's fair to say that there are many legitimate questions about its accuracy, about its integrity. There are still legitimate concerns over the integrity of our elections. The question, obviously, is how many instances we're not caught that we don't know about. Uh, number one, we've seen a lot of what I'll call honest glitches where it just didn't work right, but also that these machines are hackable. A dishonest employee of the vendor or a dishonest employee of the local board of elections or simply someone who knows electronics uh, and has a computer at home um, could hack into these machines and uh, put in a secret instruction to disregard every 20th Democratic vote or add 10% to the carrier, to the Bush vote or whatever, he might not ever know it. I agree with tens of millions of Americans who are very worried that when they cast the ballot on an electronic voting machine, that there is no paper trail to record that vote. The numerous irregularities that occurred with the electronic voting machines in Ohio on November the 2nd of last year point to an unresolved national crisis. We cannot declare that the election of November 2nd, 2004 was free and clear and transparent and real. There must be independent testing of the voting machines used in Ohio. I'm not confident that the election in Ohio was fairly decided. We know that there was substantial voter suppression and the machines were not reliable. The members of Congress who have brought this challenge are speaking up for their aggrieved constituents, many of whom may have been disenfranchised in this process. Treating today's electoral vote count in Congress as a meaningless ritual would be an insult to our democracy unless we registered our own protest against the obviously flawed voting process that took place in so many of our states. Voters who wish to cast a vote for president or vice president can't approach the polls with certainty that their vote will be counted. One of the most significant problems in Ohio and in many other states was the lack of measures to ensure the integrity of electronic voting machines. In 2004, they caused Democratic voters in Ohio to wait for eight hours before they could cast their ballot. They turned the Department of Civil Rights and the Justice Department into the Voter Suppression Division with voter ID laws, voter purging, voter caging, voter intimidation. There aren't going to be any more election stealings. And despite the 
final tally and the inauguration and the situation we find ourselves in, I do have one very affirmative statement to make. We won. Without voter suppression, Stacey Abrams would be the governor of Georgia. Andrew Gillum is the governor of Florida. I acknowledge that former Secretary of State Brian Kemp will be certified as the victor in the 2018 gubernatorial election. This is not a speech of concession. If she'd had a fair election, she already would have won. You refuse to concede and say that you lost. Do you stand by that decision today? Absolutely. The election was not fair. The process was not fair. If Stacey Abrams doesn't win in Georgia, they stole it. It's clear. It's clear. I think that Stacey Abrams' election is being stolen from her. You uh, notably did not concede. I did not. Okay, you acknowledged that he won, but you did not concede. Correct. Five months later, do you still feel like your opponent won through voter suppression? Yes. Georgia voters did not have their votes counted. They were not allowed to cast votes. They had their votes discarded. She would be the governor of Georgia today had the governor of Georgia not disenfranchised 1.4 million Georgia voters before the election. That's what happened to Stacey Abrams. They took the votes away. Was the election in Georgia statewide a free and fair election? It was not a free and fair election. Reminder, she wrote, Brian Kemp stole the gubernatorial election from Georgians and Stacey Abrams. And it was not fair to those who filled up absentee ballots. And depending on the county you sent it to, it either was counted or not counted, assuming you received it in time. Brian Kemp oversaw for eight years the systematic and systemic dismantling of our democracy, and that means there could not be free and fair elections. All right, we could go on, but I wanted you to get the full flavor of this. There's very few hosts that would even do this. Does that give you some context and perspective about what's going on here? The Democrat Party has never accepted the election of a Republican president. Not since Nixon. Never. And they have spent time trying to destroy every single one of them. Including Nixon. Including Reagan. Including both Bushes, even though his... Operatives and staffers are too stupid to wake up to it. And now Trump. I can tell you, having worked for Reagan for eight years, the calls for impeachment were constant. And they thought they found something on Iran-Contra. They found nothing. If your blood's not boiling it now, it never will. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You know what company's looking for you when they actually upgrade your service and don't charge you for it? This is great news and for new and current Pure Talk customers. Pure Talk just added data to every plan and is including a mobile hotspot with each one with no price increase whatsoever. Now, if you've considered Pure Talk before but haven't pulled the trigger... Take a look again. Just $20 a month for unlimited talk text and a 50% more 5G data plus mobile hotspot. Just 20 bucks a month, folks. This is why I love Pure Talk. That also happens to be veteran-owned and only hires the best customer service team 
right here in America. Most families are saving almost $1,000 a year while enjoying the most dependable 5G network in America. Just go to puretalk.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast to make the switch to Pure Talk and you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. Again, go to puretalk.com, enter promo code L-E-V-I-N Podcast and make the switch to my cell phone company, Pure Talk, today. Let's talk about this judge. Judge Tanya Chutkin has handled dozens of cases, as they write a red state. Related to January 6th, she's built a reputation as being the harshest arbiter in the game. For example, she's given higher sentences than recommended by the government in nine different January 6th cases, and has matched government recommendations in 14 others. She's handled 31 January 16th cases in total. Okay. By comparison, around 80% of all January 6th defendants have received sentences below government recommendations. In other words, she gives elevated sentences at a far higher rate than other judges handling similar cases. Because he's a radical leftist. That points to a deeply personal and emotional investment by the judge in the events of January 6th. In 2022, the AP even labeled her as the toughest punisher, relating to how she was handling those specific cases. Chutkin appears to be on a revenge tour as a judge based in the nation's capital, and there's every reason to believe jailing Trump would be her ultimate prize. Also concerning is what circles Chutkin ran in before assuming her position in U.S. District Court. She once worked for Boy Schiller and Flexner. Take a while, guess who also worked there? That's right, Hunter Biden. Once again, the incestuousness of the Beltway is shown the Obama appointee just so happens to have worked for the same law firm that once gave Hunter Biden a sweetheart employment deal that absolutely no one else would have gotten in the given time frame. Is that directly relevant to this latest Trump indictment? Not necessarily, but it proves more evidence of the school of thought that Judge Chunkin comes from. Judge Chunkin, you should be recusing yourself. Even an appearance of a conflict of interest is enough. Get the hell off the case. You are a radical leftist out to prove something. I'll be right back. You know a company is looking for you when they actually upgrade your service and don't charge you for it? This is great news and for new and current Pure Talk customers. Pure Talk just added data to every plan and is including a mobile hotspot with each one with no price increase whatsoever. Now, if you've considered Pure Talk before but haven't pulled the trigger, Take a look again. Just $20 a month for unlimited talk text and a 50% more 5G data plus mobile hotspot. Just 20 bucks a month, folks. This is why I love Pure Talk. That also happens to be veteran-owned and only hires the best customer service team right here in America. Most families are saving almost $1,000 a year while enjoying the most dependable 5G network in America. Just go to puretalk.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast to make the switch to Pure Talk and you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. Again, go to puretalk.com, enter promo code L-E-V-I-N Podcast and make the switch to my cell phone company, Pure Talk, today. The Mark Levin Show, the pool feed for the conservative media. Dive in now, 877-381-3811. Folks, what's amazing about this new book, The Democrat Party Hates America, I already touched on all this, as well as this dead information, Fitch. 
obviously didn't know that today they were going to downgrade our long-term debt, and I want to get into that soon. But into this whole issue of the debt ceiling, the unconstitutionality of the efforts by the Democrats, the drowning the nation in debt, the Republicans aren't pure on this, that's for sure. But the Democrats always take it a thousand times further. This is a war on our economy. It's a war on your family, your ability to put food on the table and fuel in your car. We're heading towards a new round of spending and budgeting. They're going to drive up the cost of using fossil fuels, try and force you into electric vehicles and so forth, into products that don't do what they're supposed to do or don't do them as well as they're supposed to do them and they're going to cost you an arm and a leg. They're pushing this country into a third world economic status. They're going to impoverish many of you. This is economic degrowth. At the same time, they keep spending and spending. And look, if you're an organization, if you're a business, you're a rating company based on the fiscal soundness of various countries and various corporations, you can't ignore this. We're almost at $33 trillion in debt. And as I've told you many times, that's just the on-budget debt. It's a Ponzi scheme. So all the off-budget, long-term obligations of the federal government are around $300 trillion. It's unimaginable. But the people at Fitch know that. And they know there's no way out. There's no way out. And it's getting worse. They know that. We know that. I wrote an entire book on it. Plunder and Deceit. It was one of my least successful books, even though it was massively successful by every other measure. But I measure one book against the other. Those people don't want to hear it. And this is how you destroy the next generation and future generations yet born. This is what you do to them. These babies, youngsters, are coming into a society that is destroying itself and will place the burden on their shoulders. And people don't give a damn. They do not care. I'm deeply hopeful you'll take a little trip over to the uh, Amazon site and acquire your pre-ordered copy of this book. It'll be out soon. And I think when you read it, you're going to be stunned by how how it flows, all the information that's in here. And uh, I think it'll invigorate you, quite frankly. I'm holding in my hands the first pre-publication copy of the book. Um, I receive about 150 of these to hand out to some of our uh, folks out there who, who read it and write reviews and so forth and so on when it's about to come out. Uh, but I have it here for my own reference now. For my own reference now. Look at this Fitch situation. I want you to think about what we just went through a few months ago. I know it's hard with all the rest that's going on, and I get it. I get it. Trust me on this. I believe you. But you take a look at this. We had the debt ceiling debate. Remember that? Remember what the Democrats said? The President of the United States has the power to unilaterally raise it. Here, this is from the book. 
that's now at the printing presses, which you'll have by September 19th if you order it now. The federal debt may seem like an obscure and boring topic, but it determines whether Americans will continue to enjoy economic prosperity, especially for our children and grandchildren and generations yet born. Indeed, in May 2023, the Government Accountability Office, GAO, released a report titled The Nation's Fiscal Health, which received virtually no media attention except by me right here. This report is a stark warning that the federal government is fiscally out of control. It begins with this statement. And I'm reading this in the context of the Fitch announcement today that they are downgrading our long-term debt. This is going to have incredible consequences for our economy and for the value of the dollar worldwide. I mean, this is just a disaster. Quote, the government faces, wrote GAO, an unsustainable long-term fiscal future. Well, Fitch noticed this. At the end of fiscal 2022, debt held by the public was about 97% of gross domestic product, GDP. Projections from the Office of Management and Budget, OMB, and the Department of the Treasury, the Congressional Budget Office, and GAO, all show that current fiscal policy is unsustainable over the long term. That's why Fitch acted today. Debt held by the public is projected to grow at a faster pace than the size of the economy. Debt held by the public is expected to reach its historic high of 106% of GDP within 10 years. They continue to grow at an increasing pace. GAO projects that the ratio could reach more than twice the size of the economy by 2051, absent any changes in revenue and spending priorities. In other words, reckless and unconscionable federal spending and borrowing are not curbed and reversed. If that doesn't happen, the federal government will drag the entire country into an economic and national security disaster. Now, that's from my book. Now, let's read what Fitch said today. They report they're downgrading the United States' long-term foreign currency issuer default rating to AA plus from AAA. The rating downgrade of the United States, they wrote, reflects the expected fiscal deterioration over the next three years, a high and growing general government debt burden, and the erosion of governance relative to AA and AAA rated peers over the last two decades, meaning other countries, that has manifested in repeated debt limit standoffs and last-minute resolutions. In Fitch's view, (coughs) they write, There's been a steady deterioration in the standards of governance over the last 20 years, including on fiscal and debt matters, notwithstanding the June bipartisan agreement to suspend the debt limit until January 2025. The repeated debt limit political standoffs and last-minute resolutions have eroded confidence in fiscal management. In addition, the government lacks a median-term fiscal framework, unlike most peers, and has a complex budgeting process. These factors along with several economic shocks, as well as... And it goes on. Now back to the book. The GAO does not mince words, which is rare for a federal agency. It further warns that if there's not a significant and immediate course change, the well-being of the civil society will be at stake. 
The report finds that, quote, the fiscal year 2022 federal deficit was among the highest in American history. They say this occurred even though revenue growth has been strong and federal COVID-19 relief spending has declined from recent years. I'm quoting them. Unbelievable. In addition, the cost of financing the debt increased from prior years because interest rates rose substantially in fiscal year 2022. So you can see the cycle. Congress, really Biden and the Democrats, keep pushing spending, 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 spending. Then interest rates go up, and then you have to spend more to cover interest rates. That's how a country destroys itself. They say rising debt relative to economic growth could increase borrowing costs for both the federal government and private borrowers. It could slow economic growth. Now the prediction is a major recession by early next year. On top of everything else, CBO has stated that high and rising federal debt as a share of the economy increases the risk of a fiscal crisis. Fiscal crisis. The underlying conditions driving the unsustainable fiscal outlook pose serious economic security and social challenges if not addressed. This report, by the way, is well worth reading. It's clear that the last few years, I write, of unprecedented peacetime profligate federal spending and borrowing, not just in 2020, the year of the COVID pandemic, which was said to necessitate a one-time emergency spike in spending and borrowing, but the enormous spending and borrowing in the subsequent two years by the Biden administration and the Democrat Congress with some notable Republican co-conspirators, including Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell, is driving the nation to the brink Yet despite the blaring sirens warning of economic catastrophe, Biden, the Democrat Party, and their surrogates insist that the Constitution requires that the debt ceiling be raised to pay for all the spending and borrowing they demand without limitation in lieu of reducing spending and borrowing, that is, reducing the budget. But the Constitution does not provide the Democrat Party relief from controlling its insatiable spending and borrowing addiction. Or for that matter, certain Republicans who suffer from the same addiction. What then are they talking about? They point to Section 4 of the 14th Amendment, which was ratified in 1868 after the Civil War. Talks about the validity of the public debt of the United States. Nobody's doubting that. It says, including debts incurred for payment of pensions and bounties for services and suppressing insurrection or rebellion. That is specific to the Civil War and thereafter. But neither the United States nor any state shall assume or pay any debt or obligation incurred in aid of insurrection or rebellion, and so forth. First, nobody's challenging the validity of the public debt. The text makes clear that certain debt incurred during the Civil War was valid and certain debt was not. Second, the language is specific to Civil War-related debt. Quote, including debts incurred for payment of pensions and bounties for services in suppressing insurrection or rebellion, unquote. It was not and is not a general statement of authority conferring enormous power on the executive, that is the president, to unilaterally pay all debts amassed by the federal government. Third, the language says nothing about fundamentally altering the way the federal government raises revenue and pays debt. This is a core power that is specifically granted to Congress, and only Congress. Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution, which I won't read to you right now. Fourth, 
There's absolutely no support whatsoever in the legislative history for the proposition that Section 4 of the 14th Amendment was intended to repeal or replace any part of Article 1, Section 8, where Congress has this power. And fifth, separation of powers is foundational within our constitutional system. To grant the executive the power of the purse rather than Congress means the president would have virtually complete control over the federal government's financial activities. For example, since he alone would have the authority or final say on spending, borrowing, and taxing, he need not seek congressional input on budgets or budget-related bills. He could just spend, borrow, and tax with impunity. Thus, in key ways, America's constitutional system would change from a representative republic to a dictatorship. I'm not going to go on, but that is in the chapter, the Democrat Party's war on the Constitution. And the reason this is important is because they have no standards, no principles whatsoever, except those that advance the American Marxist agenda and empower their party. They don't care if the economy collapses. You know why? Because republicanism, small r republicanism, goes right out the window, just as it did with the pandemic in blue states. In fact, that's fine by them. They've got no problem with it whatsoever, just like they have no problem with the, with the indictments against Donald Trump and the protections of Hunter Biden and all the rest, the open borders, which are clearly intended to import Democrats. If they weren't importing Democrats, they would secure that border like nothing... We've ever seen before. I'll be right back. Lovin. You know a company is looking for you when they actually upgrade your service and don't charge you for it? This is great news and for new and current Pure Talk customers. Pure Talk just added data to every plan and is including a mobile hotspot with each one with no price increase whatsoever. Now, if you've considered Pure Talk before but haven't pulled the trigger, take a look again. Just $20 a month for unlimited talk text and now 50% more 5G data plus mobile hotspot. Just 20 bucks a month, folks. This is why I love Pure Talk that also happens to be veteran-owned and only hires the best customer service team right here in America. Most families are saving almost $1,000 a year while enjoying the most dependable 5G network in America. Just go to puretalk.com and enter promo code LEVINPODCAST to make the switch to Pure Talk and you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. Again, go to puretalk.com, enter promo code LEVINPODCAST and make the switch to my cell phone company, Pure Talk, today. I should have done this a long time ago. The table of contents of the Democrat Party Hates America in each one of these chapters is quite significant. Chapter 1, the Democrat Party and authoritarianism. Chapter 2, anti-black racism and anti-Semitism. Chapter 3, anti-white racism and anti-Semitism. Chapter 4, language control and thought control. Chapter 5, war on the American citizen. Chapter 6, War on the Nuclear Family. Chapter 7, War on the Constitution. Chapter 8, Stalin would be proud. And of course, then the epilogue. I think you're going to love this book. It's also going to, in some ways, upset you, but also inspire you. And that's what we need to be right now, inspired. It's summertime, many of you are upset, or you just want to forget about all this stuff, that's fine. 
But the other side, the revolutionaries, they're not stopping. They're dropping indictments left and right. The quislings within the Republican Party are giving them cover. Or they're silent. And all these terrible things are happening. They're banning products. They're, in, they're demanding that we buy certain products. We've got thought control and language control, war on the Constitution, war on justice system. It's taking place summer or no summer. Summer or no summer. <coughs> I'll be right back, folks. You won't want to miss the last hour. Be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 I will be on Hannity tonight. 9.25 p.m., give or take. We're going to announce the Reagan Library signing next week, as it turns out, next week. Because they have to set up a system that can handle all the calls, and that's a good thing. Don't forget, though, September 23rd, Saturday, 10 a.m. at Bookends, Ridgewood, New Jersey. We'll be signing books there. You know, they can only take so many people, so it's first come, first served. And Barnes and Noble, Sunday, September 24th, we take everybody there. It's a big place. 1 p.m. in the afternoon, Sunday, September 24th, Barnes and Noble, McLean, Virginia, Tyson's Corner Center, a.k.a. Tyson's Mall. We can handle everyone and anyone. The Democrat Party Hates America is destined to be one of the most important books, not just that I've ever written, but has ever done a deep dive. It's going to become a reference on the Democrat Party and what they're doing to this country. And it could be an ideological battle between, you know, liberty and tyranny, and you can have a part in it, an important part in it, and we need you. I want you to listen first. This is Cut 18, Mr. Producer. To Devin Archer with Tucker Carlson today. Listen carefully. Cut 18, go. Joe Biden, then the sitting vice president, knew that there were Hunter's business associates in the room. Yeah, I think I can I can definitively say at particular dinners or meetings, he knew there were business associates and he, you know, we or if I was there, I was a business associate, too. All right, um, let's so stop think, right there. He knew. So what does that mean? That means what I've been saying for the last several weeks, Joe Biden is a co-conspirator in the violation of the FARA law, the Foreign Agents Registration Act. He knew there were business associates. So says a business associate, Devin Archer, a business associate of Hunter Biden. And this man has nothing to gain by lying. He's going to prison for a year. Now, here's Representative Jimmy Comer, head of the House Oversight Committee on Newsmax yesterday, getting pretty close to the point that I've been pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing that Joe Biden is a co-conspirator. There's your first impeachable article right there. Cut three, go. When you think about what Archer testified today, my question is now, did Joe Biden 
commit the Foreign Agents Registration Act because his family was receiving millions and millions of dollars from these foreign nationals. None of these people that he put his dad on the business phone with are reputable business people. There you go. I wonder where you heard that from, Mr. Producer. Now, he wouldn't have violated directly the FARA, so I would be careful. Let's get it straight. He's a co-conspirator. He's a co-conspirator. That's all he has to be. That is, he helped his son violate the Foreign Agents Registration Act because his son never reported or signed up the way he's supposed to. Because there it is. It's over. I mean, you know, we're still working on gathering evidence one step at a time. What are we working on? Gather all the evidence you want, but have an impeachment inquiry. They just indicted Trump for nothing. What are we waiting for? For God's sakes. Is it not crazy? Yeah, I think it is crazy. You know, Rome lasted a thousand years, but the Roman Republic, as opposed to the Empire, well, it lasted, let me count down to the exact numbers, lasted to 473 years, Mr. Producer. 473 years. How long do you think the American Republic is going to last? Do you think we're going to last 473 years? We're on year 247. What do you think, America? You think your children are going to live in liberty? I'm wrong. 482 years. Close. We're only 247 years old. Do we have another 250 years left in us? Remember, the empire was a thousand years when you count the republic and the empire. But the republic was 482 years. Our republic is only 247 years old. And as I say in the last sentence of the book, the Democrat Party stands for the relentless pursuit of power and control. America was founded on the principle of individual and human liberty, the dispersion of political and governmental power. The Roman Republic lasted 482 years. Our Republic is only 247 years old. If the Democrat Party succeeds, the American experiment will have failed. That is crucial. That is a profound sentence. If the Democrat Party succeeds, the American experiment will fail. That's the concluding sentence of a 400-page book. It is a concluding sentence. They're our enemy. They're not our political adversary. They want to control you. They want to control how you live, where you live. They want to control your livelihood. They want to control the words you can use, the thought processes you have. They want to control how you raise your children, if you raise your children, what you call your children. They want to control all kinds of products that are in your home. Because if they can do that, they control everything in your home. They don't do it through the front door. They do it through the back door. Regulations. They make it impossible through regulations to produce the HVAC system you have or the air conditioning system, the air conditioning window system you might have. To produce dishwashers and washing machines and dryers that you have. Incandescent light bulbs, toasters, automobiles. All coming from Washington, all without your consent, all without your consent. 
then what the hell is this here? What is it? They don't ask for our permission. They impose their will upon us. And you'll understand 100% why in this book. Why? Why? And where does this kind of thinking come from? Where does it come from? Well, if we talked about Marxism, you'll learn about Leninism, too. Lenin said Marxism is very, very important as a core ideology. But he said aspects of it are impracticable. Like in America. America has a vibrant middle class that will go to war to defend the country. It's not going to rise up and overthrow it. And so Lenin preached. And these so-called progressives in America listened. The power must be exerted from top down. He said, Gramsci, another communist, an Italian communist said, we must devour the institutions of government. We must devour the institutions of the culture. This has to be a top-down revolution. Where the revolution is imposed on the people, whether they like it or not. You're going to learn a ton. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. It's always an honor to have Caroline Glick on the program. She's um, born in America. She's an Israeli citizen. Might still be a U.S. citizen, for all I know. She's one of the great columnists and thinkers in Israel, as far as I'm concerned. How are you, Caroline? Great, great to have, great to be back on your show. Thanks for having me. It's a great pleasure. Just tell us what the hell is going on in Israel. Well, well, uh, tomorrow we're going to have an incredible. Um, hearing before a full complement of the Supreme Court, which never happens, all 15 justices are going to be sitting, to decide on uh, um, what's called a basic law and whether to disqualify a basic law um, that talks about uh, under what circumstances a prime minister can be ousted from office. And, I mean, the the, the, the law itself is, is less interesting than what's happening here. The source of the authority of the Supreme Court is uh, according to the Supreme Court itself, the basic laws of Israel, and they they're not allowed to do anything that isn't based on those laws, which are passed by the Knesset, our Parliament. And so, what the Supreme Court is doing by having this hearing is they're setting up Israel for a civil war, effectively, because if they if they uh, if they abrogate this law, um, then what they're saying. <laughs> is that there are no limits on their, their power, that the rule of law doesn't limit their power, that no law limits their power, that they get to decide the rules of the game for the government, for the elected branches of, of Israeli uh, governance, the, the government and the Knesset, and they also get to decide the limits of their power, for which they accept zero, um, based on whatever they feel like. They they're just are leaving the mothership, and if this goes through, um, 
you know, it's going to be very difficult to call Israel a democracy because we will actually just be officially a judicial tyranny. So that's starting tomorrow, and it's about um, um, what is it called when a when a president when a prime minister is infirm and capable of carrying out his duties. So the purpose of the legislature was always to say that you know if you're struck by a stroke like Ariel Sharon was or you know you're in a coma or whatever then you obviously can't fulfill the office and you have to be removed from office but uh our attorney general wants to remove Benjamin Benjamin Netanyahu from office and so she was trying to expand the definition based on nothing and so the the Knesset uh Went very clear, uh, went quickly to amend the existing law to make it clear that she couldn't just oust the prime minister because she didn't like uh, the way he was behaving, and so they they limited it so that they that you can only oust the prime minister from office if he's medically incapable of performing his duties. It's and uh, the, the Supreme Court is going to be adjudicating this tomorrow mm-hmm. with absolutely no legal authority whatsoever. That's what's happening in Israel. So you understand, America, you don't need standing in Israel. The court can sit there and 25 people can send, hey, you ought to look into this. Or honestly, they can read it in the newspaper and decide on their own they want to look into something under some pretext. And uh, it's basically a Politburo. That's what it is. Uh It's not even a court anymore. It's a Politburo. It's been criticized in our country repeatedly, particularly the the brainiac so-called behind it, a guy by the name of Barack, another Barack. And so, really, the people of Israel, Caroline Glick, have no recourse whatsoever when a, when a judiciary, such as it is, rules that, hey, look, you can elect whomever you want, majority, minority, doesn't matter to us. We will have the final say. And by the way, our final say will always be of the left. Absolutely. But, you know, I mean, we've been, they say we're, we're going to move into a constitutional crisis. We've been in a constitutional crisis for a very long time. Certainly we've been in a constitutional crisis since two years ago when the Supreme Court ordered the, uh, the Speaker of our Knesset to um, um, resign or, or hold elections for his replacement because it was an idea that uh, the, the left-wing opposition party was going to rule uh, the the country through the Knesset um, because they because they, they had an operative majority essentially but they couldn't form a government and uh, he said he wouldn't hold the elections but he resigned and then the the Supreme Court said you're not allowed to resign we fire you and so they fired him <laughs> and they have absolutely no legal authority to do that so we've basically been since then the clock has been running down the Supreme Court. Uh, has just been seizing all of the residual powers of the Knesset and of the government to oversee its operations. And the legal reform that everybody is screaming about and saying that this is going to be the end of Israel if we have this very limited judicial reform go forward, it's sort of a race against time to try to legislate uh, a means to legislate limits on the court's power before they completely destroy democracy. And so what uh, the outgoing Supreme Court uh, president, Esther Hayut, plans to do is go out in a pillar of smoke. She, she retires at the end of next month. So she wants to make all of these judgments that destroy Israel's democracy 
before she has to leave. And so that's why she's rushing uh, to undermine the, the last sort of vestiges of limits on the Supreme Court power, including in September, they're supposed to, in two weeks, they're supposed to, or sorry, six weeks, they're supposed to have a hearing to overturn the law that the Knesset passed a week and a half ago that limits the Supreme Court's authority to, to overturn government decisions. And so they are saying that we don't, I mean, without legal authority, there's no basis in law for anything that they're doing. To the contrary, the law stipulates that they're not allowed to do anything that undermines basic laws. And they're saying, well, we're going to do it anyway. And not only that, we're doing it in a matter that regards our own authorities. So talk about a conflict of interest. There's nothing more clear than that one. And so that's, that's where we are right now. And, and, you know, a friend of mine, a law professor, said to me the other day when we were talking about it, he said, you know, <clears throat> the Dred Scott decision, which came out in, 19, uh, sorry, in 1857, um, essentially guaranteed that the United States was going to go into civil war. Now, we don't, we, they didn't know in 1857 you know, when it would happen, or but it, it essentially became inevitable. And it took four years for, you know, the shots to rain out at Fort Sumter and the beginning of the U.S. Civil War. And here, you know, it's the same thing. If the court is saying that the government and the Knesset have no powers whatsoever, we get to decide everything, including our own powers, then, then you know, there's going to, unless somebody on the left wakes up very quickly, uh, you know, uh, unfortunately, you're saying we're taking away your ability to legislate. So now the only thing that you have left is confrontation. So it, it's very it's very dangerous. That's actually quite a brilliant point. Uh, when the system collapses, the law collapses, the law becomes the crime or the criminal conspiracy, and there's no way out. No. There's no I way mean, out. They're locking us into a... A direct confrontation, which is why it's so terrifying, and why you know we were hoping that the president, who's sort of a he, he's a figurehead, he's he's supposed to be the Israeli version of the of the monarch of Britain, um, but he had the gravitas initially to to come in and and sort of force the the left that's you know running this insurrection, being led by the Supreme Court, to come to its senses, but he apparently didn't have the intestinal fortitude to rise to the occasion, and so that didn't happen. It's not clear right now, you know, what figure on the left uh, who, who would be willing to take action has the gravitas to do so, and uh, so we're we're in a pickle. That's right, we are. We're in a problem. We're, Isn't we're it amazing uh, the position right now? Isn't it amazing the left in most of these countries? And I want to hold you over the break. Mm -hmm. They are really Leninists. You know, it's top-down power uh, while they claim to be representing the people. And there can be no disputes that disagree with them or anything of the kind. I mean, for a group of lawyers, that's what we're talking about, to seize authority that was never conferred on this court or any part of the government, basically changing the original nature of the government and the law under the founding of the state of Israel, even by many socialists, European socialists, they seize it and they have no intention of giving it up. I want to pursue this with you further. Caroline Glick, if people want to reach you or read about you, what's your website? Oh, my website is carolynglick.com and they can also go to jns.org where I'm the senior All right, editor. okay, we'll get back. We'll be right back. Are you an individual or business owner facing the heavy burden of back taxes, levies, or wage garnishments? 
Life's challenges, especially those brought on by the economic impact of COVID-19 and inflation, can take a toll on your financial well-being. Now, the IRS has eliminated over a billion dollars in tax penalties and interest for back taxes. America First Tax Group is here to help you claim your share of these billions in tax relief before the IRS can claim the government share and clamp down. Call them now, 800-806-1299. The IRS has people working to collect your money, but it's time to turn the tables, folks. America First Tax Group is a full-service tax boutique that puts clients first. They understand the stress of dealing with tax problems, and they will be your guide through the process. Don't wait. Time is of the essence. Call America First Tax Group. Here's the number. 800-806-1299. 800-806-1299. Or visit AmericaFirstTaxGroup.com slash Levin. Have you gotten your letter from the IRS yet? These last few years have not been easy on the American family. And with tax season finally arriving, there'll be millions of hardworking people and businesses that could struggle even more due to the IRS working against them. Well, America First Tax Group can help put an end to your worries. Just one phone call to 800-806-1299. Hello, 800-806-1299. And you'll be in touch with the America First Tax Group, a full-service tax company that'll fight the IRS and help put you on the path to financial freedom. Their experts can help you or your business with any tax-related problems you may have, from dealing with your back taxes to granting you access to tax relief and much more. Don't wait. Get in touch with America First Tax Group today by calling 800-806-1299. That's 800-806-1299 or AmericaFirstTaxGroup.com slash Levin. Again, 800-806-1299 or AmericaFirstTaxGroup.com. Dot com slash L-E-V-I-N. Mark Levin, the thunder on the right. Call in now, 877-381-3811. We're talking with Caroline Glick about the horrendous situation taking place in Israel. Caroline, with the support of radical left groups outside of Israel, like J Street, with support of propagandists who despise Israel, like Thomas Friedman, with the support of... Um, Left-wing parties in your own country, Ehud Barak. Would you explain who he is and what he what he promoted? Yeah, Ehud Barak is um, arguably uh, the greatest failure ever to serve as a uh, prime minister of Israel. He was the chief of staff of the army. Also, did a terrible job there. He sort of kept getting promoted up uh, to another level of incompetence, and so he he uh, was. He, he came in later as the defense minister. He was in, he was in office for 15 uh, months, and then he was ousted in 2001. And uh, then he served a, a couple of stints as, as defense minister, which he also did poorly, but whatever. Um, the thing is, is that he has been pushing this idea uh, of a mass revolt against uh, the government um, by the elites of Israel, for the past at least three years, the first time that we we had a, like a, a a YouTube video of him discussing um, his plans for Israel was a video that he made in 2020 when he was talking about launching the kind of protests that we're seeing now, ostensibly about legal reform against the uh, government, uh, but in relation to the COVID-19 lockdown. So he was using any opportunity he could think of to promote mass violence and uh, rebellion against Netanyahu's government uh, with the aim of overturning it, overthrowing it by tanking the economy and, uh, and using uh, 
leftists uh, in uh, key elite units in the IDF, like uh, uh, pilots in the Air Force and special forces operators, um, to try to compel the government uh, to stand down or to uh, foment its collapse. And so he's been doing this. He's very tied in with Democrats in the United States. Um, with He was very close with uh, Jeffrey Epstein. He met with him 30 times after Epstein's initial uh, conviction on uh, was it child trafficking or whatever. And, and so, you know, he has a really dubious relationship with a lot of the hires up in in the United States and uh so he's been promoting political discord and chaos in Israel and then there was a video that came out uh I think last week where he was explaining to this group of pilots who now comprise sort of the the main uh group of pilots who are threatening to take apart the air force if the government goes forward with judicial reform most of them retired from uh, the cockpit a long, long time ago, but they're trying to gin up a, a psychological warfare campaign, at least against the public, and particularly against the government, into thinking that they have to stand down. Um, but he explained to them that an uh, uh, expert told him that he will be summoned back to power when there are bodies of Jews killed by other Jews uh, floating in the Arkon River in Tel Aviv. And the idea was wow. that he wants to foment a civil war so that he can be called to power like uh, Pétain or, or de Gaulle by a needy uh, nation who looks to him for, for, uh, for, um, for stability. And so he's very openly uh, working to really destroy the country in order to advance his Goal, and he's been sort of the central, one of the central nodes of the insurrection of all of the political violence that we've been seeing on the street, uh, and, uh, uh organizing the various groups, high tech people, uh, former generals. Again, he was the former chief of staff of the IDF, um, and a lot of these economic moguls, these very, very wealthy Israelis, uh, bankers, they're all sort of around him. And he has been raising the money, and part of it out of pocket because he's extremely wealthy uh, for these for these uh, protests or whatever you want to call them. They cost well over, you know, we're talking probably now in the range of forty million, fifty million dollars, which is, you know, way beyond anything we've ever seen in Israel. I mean, they have unlimited cash on hand from various sources uh, to pay for this. Uh, violence that they've been enacting on the streets of Israel. And the role of the Biden administration, you've got uh, this guy, Malley, you've got uh, Blinken, you've got the former ambassador to Israel from the United States, you have groups like J Street, you have the radical leftists within the Democrat Party, the role of the United States in undermining so the I state of that, Israel. So from from that perspective, the the problem is, I mean, there is synergy between what the left is doing and what the Biden administration is doing. The Biden administration, you know, has, is is pushing a policy uh, of uh, of appeasing Iran and uh, its proxies, particularly Hezbollah, which controls Lebanon for Iran, uh, at Israel's expense and at the expense as well of Saudi Arabia and other U.S. allies, because the United States thinks that Israel is too powerful, and as Barack Obama put it, when he was president, 
Israel has to be weaker, Saudi Arabia has to be weaker so that you can reach some sort of a balance of power with Iran, and through that balance of power, um, the Middle East will be stabilized. Of course, this is completely uh, delusional because Iran is not a status quo power. It's not interested in stability. It's a revolutionary regime that wants to export its Islamic revolution throughout the region, overturn all of the governments of the of the Muslim world, uh, and tr- turn them into satrapies the way it's destroyed Lebanon and Syria, Iraq, Yemen, etc. And they want to annihilate Israel. And they're developing nuclear weapons in order to achieve that purpose. And rather than stay, and of course they, they want to destroy the United States as well, which they consider the great Satan. And so rather than confront Iran in any way, including through sanctions, which the Biden administration doesn't enforce, uh, the Biden administration is appeasing Iran, and they're doing so by, among other things, um, working with the left in Israel to destabilize the government and paralyze it from action against Iran, both because of domestic political constraints and then because of actions that the United States is taking in the region. So, um, so yeah, it's sort of a perfect storm from that perspective. And really, it was very heartening, I have to say, when a week and a half ago, despite everything, uh, that the Biden administration is doing, and the left, of course, is working with the Biden administration and openly calling for it to isolate Israel and not to meet with, uh, and for, not, for the pre- president not to meet with Netanyahu in the White House or anywhere else, um, which, of course, he has not done. Um, and um, so it, 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 I was very heartened when they passed uh, the law limiting judicial power in a very, very tiny way, but all the same, the fact that they passed it showed that Netanyahu is still standing strong against incredible odds and trying to protect Israeli democracy. He said so in a couple of interviews. I'm not sure if it was in the interview that he gave you as well, but I saw that in one or two interviews um, he refused to say whether his government would abide by a Supreme Court decision that overturned the, the basic law that they just passed a week and a half ago limiting the Supreme Court's power to overturn government decisions. What he did say that was very important was that um, we will follow the law and um, we go with the law. And the point that he was making was that an illegal Supreme Court decision uh, that is made without any authority, legal authority whatsoever, to reject limits on its power duly constituted as a basic constitutional law by the Knesset with the express purpose of limiting the Supreme Court's power, um, that that would be an illegal judgment, which, of course, is correct. Whether he's going to have the wherewithal and the power um, to actually refuse to implement a Supreme Court decision given the situation on the ground with these leftist insurrectionists who really are the most powerful forces in Israeli society um, is it's still an open question, but at least A, they passed the law, which was really important, and B, uh, Netanyahu is signaling very clearly that he's not willing to throw in the towel. So both of those points are very heartening. We're going to have to go. <clears throat> You've been uh, very, very informative, I will say this. reminds me like the fall of the Second Temple. Yeah. Well, the Romans right, are attacking. Hold on now. Hold on now. Hold on now. Hold okay. On now. Sorry. 
for the American people, while the Romans are attacking the Jews at the Second Temple, they're fighting among themselves. They're fighting among themselves. And, I, and, and this is what concerns me a whole lot, Caroline, is that Iran is at the precipice. Others are at the precipice. And the country's falling apart. And by the way, our country here is falling apart, too. Anyway, any final words? Well, just two things. One is I'm writing a book about this, so uh, keep this space open. I'll talk to you when the book is out. And oh, I look forward to that. Thanks. And the other thing is um, that, uh, you know, we're, I believe very strongly that a majority of Israelis, a very large majority of Israelis, are not going to allow this ship to go asunder. And mm-hmm. we're facing a problem unlike any that we've seen before, largely because so much of this is propelled by internal, uh, by, by a very powerful for, uh, force inside of Israel that rejects the legitimacy of the rest of Israeli society. Um, but I think that um, if, particularly with the help of our friends in the United States, and if we hear more voices of support on the Hill in the, in the Senate uh, for Israeli democracy, for the legitimacy of elections in Israel, um, then I think that that's going to have an impact. It's very impactful. They always expand on, report expansively what Tom Friedman writes in the New York Times, make it <coughs> seem as though he's so important, which, of course, we both know is, is untrue. Um, it would be very wonderful if uh, we could hear more voices of support from people in the United States who understand the importance of maintaining democracy in America, in Israel, and throughout the world. All right, you're terrific. We appreciate Thank it. Now, you. now give your sites. Oh, okay. My website is Carolyn, uh, sorry, carolynglick.com. My name is spelled Caroline Glick, so carolynglick.com. And also you can follow me on Twitter. And I'm also the senior editor at JNS.org, the most important and best news site in English in Israel. And so you can follow me there as well and, and get updates on Israel from JNS.org. Every now and then I show up in Israeli media. Isn't that funny? We love you. It's, it's, it's hilarious. We just love you, Mark. Well, thank you. We, we appreciate you. you, too. Appreciate it. Right. Hope to get over <laughs> there in you. a few months. Me, too. Maybe and we'll then you all... can be on my podcast. See that? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, God bless. Thank you, you very too. much. God bless. All right. Take care. Boy, oh, boy, what a mess. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. You know, sleep, especially as you get older, is so critical, especially that deep, comforting sleep. 
Go to helixsleep.com, H-E-L-I-X sleep.com, and take the sleep quiz. I took it and was matched to the Midnight Lux. Helix knows that everyone's unique, so they have several different mattress models to match your body type and sleep preferences. Once you match, your mattress comes right to your door, shipped for free. They have a 10-year warranty, and Helix even has financing options and flexible payment plans. So a great night's sleep is never far away. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. So go to helixsleep.com slash Levin, H-E-L-I-X sleep.com slash L-E-V-I-N, and use code HELIXPARTNER20. That's HELIXPARTNER20. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long, folks. With Helix, better sleep starts now. I'll be on Hannity on the Fox News Channel in literally 30 minutes. I hope you'll join us over there. And um, I've really been mulling over what I'm going to discuss. You know, it could be Biden. could be these latest indictments. I've been mulling it over. I think I need to go bigger. I think I need to put in context what's going on in this country. Who's behind it? I'm just thinking out loud with you. You're the family. You're my family. Um, and the consequences or potential consequences of this kind of revolution. It's a passive revolution, what they call it, a passive or quiet revolution. There aren't armed marauders and militia in the streets. But it is what it is, and it's a top-down revolution. And so... Uh, you see it all across of the, the culture. You see it all across the government. Fitch, what was once the, the greatest financial nation on the face of the earth, is collapsing. You see it on the border. You see it on everything. You see they're attacking lifestyles, banning household products. Banning household products? I mean, banning vehicles? Uh, it's just inc- incredible. All of this is intended to control your, control your life, control your mobility, you know, control your, your every movement. And nobody's voted for this. It's just incredible. And so these, these indictments are an effort by the Democrat Party to monopolize politics. That's what it's about. They're intended to monopolize the, the, the Democrat Party by putting out of business <laughs> Republicans. And I don't think Republicans even understand this. Put the Republican Party effectively out of business. One party rule, like in California... We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, emergency personnel. We salute the men and women in Taiwan and Ukraine, the freedom fighters. Most of all, I salute you. God bless each and every one of you. Two quick things. Run to Amazon, and I'll see you in 30 minutes on Hannity's show. God bless you.